I chose to share it uh, with you today from a version of the Bible called The Message by Eugene Peterson. There are a number of versions of the Bible. We often use the New Revised Standard Version, but in this particular case, I thought Dr. Peterson just did a superb job in translating this story from the message. I do ask, I'll talk about this more in the sermon, this is a 41-verse story, so I am not going to read all of the verses right now, but I do ask that you consider reading all 41 verses this afternoon as your spiritual discipline. Maybe go to a park and take your phone with you and the scripture. Maybe sit outside if you have a backyard, but take some time today, be outside, enjoy God's creation, and give some thought to these scriptures that have survived for thousands of years and continue to guide us even today. The gospel writer John explained the story in this way. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man, bold said Jesus, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. Jesus said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. Let me know if I didn't pronounce that correctly. Put it online. Siloam. Go wash at the pool of Siloam. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing and the scripture goes on. And at the end, Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I hope you're applauding at home. Amen. The best worship band, in my opinion, in the city of Columbus. So when we are able to gather again, we really look forward to having you all here. We're going to have a huge party, and um, we can't wait to have you back. But until then, we hope that you can enjoy this experience from home and know that we're working hard to bring this experience to you virtually, and we have some additional announcements that we'll be making in the days and weeks to come. So please continue to watch our Facebook page for our announcements and our events. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I hope that this message finds all of you comfortably settled in at home in front of your television or laptops with your pets nearby. Apparently, last week for our first online worship service, um, well, we, we've had it online, but it was our first completely online worship service or virtual service. Some of you had your pets and you let me know that they fell asleep during the online sermon. And so we're just going to start calling me the pet whisperer. So seriously though, why don't you take a minute and take a picture of your current worship space. Now this might be like asking you to be presentable for your Zoom conference that you have to do, but you don't have to do that. Just let us know what your worship space looks like today. Do you have a candle lit nearby? Are you working on a computer? Are you watching your television? Are your pets nearby? Do you have any family members who are watching? We would love to know how you are worshiping with us during this time of challenge as we continue to highlight the 
connectivity of our community, even though we are physically distanced from each other for the time being. And during the current pandemic, as I mentioned, we're going to continue following the lectionary to the extent possible as we rely on our faith tradition during this scary time. We here at St. John's are daring greatly in a time of crisis, and we are grateful that you are with us on this journey. Next week, we hope to launch our updated Wednesday night class by Zoom or video conference. We're getting some of that set up, so we make sure that we're having our midweek opportunities, watch for other opportunities, but we're looking at offering a class called Spiritual Resilience in a Time of Crisis, and we will find ways to continue the study that we were on on God's politics because, importantly, God's politics really matter right now. So watch for announcements and instructions as our leadership team continues to develop ways for your digital church experience to be as connective and engaging and encouraging as possible. So returning to today's story, today's 41 verse years, rather than just name the predicament that we're in, since we don't want to take the fall, as, as we say, the fall kind of continues to take us, and I really appreciated the work of Reverend Carl Travis on this scripture passage, um, helping us understand that that's part of what this passage is really about. And if you think about it, let me give you a current example. And if you've had kids, raise your hand, give us some love on Facebook, let us know. Let us know if your kids are watching or if they're still sleeping like mine, who's home from college. She thinks because she's not in church, she doesn't have to watch church, but she will be watching it later today, right? Consistent with our practice. But kids are naturals at the old dodge and point, right? Have you ever had your kids do that, the dodge and point? Hey, Dad, Timmy hit me. I did not. She hit me first. You probably all have your own examples of that. So what's a parent to do, right? What's God to do when we react in that way? Sometimes we point fingers in order to dodge responsibility, but often we point fingers to explain what we do not understand. And I remember the, the slide that is going to be put up had, just has the question why on it. And that's really the crux of today's message is that, that why question. And we're going to dig into that a little bit. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are we in the predicament that we are in? What can our faith tradition teach us about the answer to that question, or maybe the question in that question? But often we point fingers to explain what we do not understand or what makes us feel uncomfortable. I mean, I remember after 9-11, a defining point in my life, a prominent televangelist caused quite a stir when in his own word he literally pointed a finger at pagans, feminists, gays, lesbians, the ACLU, and the people for the American way. And he said they were responsible for 9-11. And some of this language is going on now, which is why I mention it. It's, it's far too familiar a cycle. The televangelists argued that all these liberal folks forced God to lift divine protection from our nation, and that's why the Twin Towers fell. And this same televangelist who has a big old TV show and reaches a large audience and is far more used to being on TV than I am, used the same reasoning when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. The same reasoning when a madman shot 20 children and teachers at Sandy Hook. The same reasoning about the Boston bombing. And you guessed it, the same reasoning 
in the current coronavirus pandemic in our country. This is devastatingly toxic theology, which is why we talk about it today. Because, by the way, I'm just going to make this point in the sermon because I've just fit it in. This thing that we're dealing with is called COVID-19 or coronavirus by the medical and public health community. It is not some other derogatory name that our president and other leaders have been using. I would chastise my child for not calling this by its proper name. Can we just get an online amen to that point? That we all need to be using proper medical technology and not scapegoating or blaming or trying to say that a country or a people are responsible for this global pandemic. So, this why question When we are faced with tragedy and confusion as we are right now in our country, let's name that. A lot of people are are really struggling to make sense of this. They're struggling to adapt. I know some of you, this has been a comfortable experience and, and you've been able to keep your job. You've been able to stay home. You've been able to work from your laptop and, and um, it's kind of a cozy experience. But we also know that there are people sleeping still on our back porch at night who don't have shelter. And if they're told to shelter in place, they will not have a place to go. As it is, the meal programs are shutting down and there are very few places now where they can be fed other than the open shelter that is here that's open every day to meet the needs of the homeless and marginally housed. But I digress. Faced with tragedy and confusion, the why question faces all of us and we are often quick to assign blame. And this instinct becomes even more dangerous when we point religious fingers, when we sign God's name to our personal grievances. Again, you got televangelists and prominent religious leaders right now who are doing that. They're putting God's name on top of their personal grievances and their personal scapegoating and their personal blame. Now, Jesus understood He understood this dynamic. He understood that religious folks do that sometime. And today's gospel gives us some idea about what Jesus thought about this habit and more importantly, what he did about it. Returning to the story, you know, Jesus bumped into a man born blind. And in the interest of time today, we read only a few verses of the 41 verse passage. So, as I mentioned, I invite you to take a few moments this afternoon with your own Bible or on your phone. Read the whole story. See how God might be speaking to you through this particular mud miracle. I'm going to ask if you can let us know online right now if you can commit to doing that today, which means, yes, church members, I am assigning you homework from the pulpit, even though you are not here in the pew. All right? Some of you are passively watching and thinking there's not going to be an assignment today. There is, which is to read those 41 verses. Let us know online that you can commit to do that. And let us know what you think about those verses and how they're impacting you. But today's story is not just about the medicinal power of mud. It is about the healing power of faith in Christ Jesus. This faith in Christ Jesus may not always heal the body but it always heals the heart. And I'll say that again, that this faith in Christ Jesus may not always heal the body, but it always heals the heart. 
So Jesus bumped into a man born blind, and in those days, back then, 2,000 years ago, religious people assumed that blindness must come from God. They were trying to explain something they didn't understand, and they thought it was caused by God. And if you were born blind, people wondered who to blame. They wonder, had you sinned, or had your parents sinned, or what was the explanation for why you were blind? Because it must be someone's fault. And even the disciples thought this way. But Jesus was ready for them. He answered quickly and sharply when that question was posed. He said, neither. Neither the parents nor the the man are responsible for the blindness. Jesus simply refused to help people blame the man or his parents. Because God does not cause human pain in order to punish us. That may be a novel concept if you are online with us for the first time today and haven't had a chance to be at our United Church of Christ Church here in Columbus. God does not cause human pain in order to punish us. If anyone tells you that, it is toxic theology. And bad theology kills. And it's happening right now in our country. Bad theology kills. So I'll give you an example from Reverend Travis about a church member that he had who had a string of tragedies. And in less than a year, this church member lost her father, her mother, and then her husband, all in less than a year. And the woman said, people say God doesn't send more than we can handle. And she replied, I just wish God didn't hold me in such high esteem. God doesn't send us more than we can handle. How many of you have struggled with that phrase? I normally have the congregation raise your hand, but tell us online, let us know if that has been a phrase that has caused you grief in your life. God doesn't send us more than we can handle. Let's say you're suffering and something's going on and someone tells you that. Does that make you feel better? Or does it just make you feel like you're not measuring up? Of all the simple sayings of the Christian faith, this is the one that I would most like to change. God doesn't send us more than we can handle, and it suggests that God intentionally sends us hardships and tragedy. And I do not believe, as an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, that God does this. I do not believe that God killed the father and the mother and the husband of the church member merely to test her. I do not believe God caused madmen to fly into the Twin Towers or caused a gunman to mow down innocent children in their classroom. I do not believe God is killing innocent people right now who can't get to a ventilator in time due to the brokenness of our nation's health care system. Instead, I believe God promised, though there are bad things that happen in life, God promised that God will not abandon us in our hope or hurt in our pain, that instead we will have hope. So, some of you are probably wondering right now, our church members and those of you who are watching us online for the first time, some of you might be wondering, and rightly so, if God doesn't cause human pain, then why does God allow it? Right? If God doesn't cause human pain, why does God allow it? Can you let me know online if that's a spiritual question that you have had? Why do bad things happen to good people? 
That really, like I said, it's the why question today. Why do bad things happen to good people? Is that a question that you've had in your life? or something that you've struggled with. In seminary, we call this the theodicy problem. We've talked about that here at St. John's, and it is front and center right now in our country. It is called the theodicy problem. So I'm going to do a little teaching for just a minute. The theodicy problem goes this way. If God is all good, all knowing, and all powerful, if God is all good, all knowing, and all powerful, then why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, I went to seminary for an answer to that question. I really wanted to know. And I learned that in 2,000 years of theological thinking, there was still no consensus on a single explanation and a single answer. In some ways, that gave me some relief. I thought, well, if in 2,000 years, the smartest theological thinkers can't figure that out, then perhaps it's okay for us to wrestle with it too. Why do bad things happen to good people? The way I explain it when people ask me in our congregation when they're suffering, I said, you know, I think that free will, we have free will as human beings. I think sometimes there's a ripple effect. And it may not be something that we've done or didn't do, but somewhere someone else did something and there's this ripple effect. I think about what's happening right now with our nation's healthcare system. And all the weaknesses that we're seeing exposed in our healthcare system as we are faced with a national pandemic. That's free will. We chose not to invest in healthcare. We chose not to make sure there were hospitals in rural areas. We made choices that have consequences for people. We did not choose to fund the national disaster response uh, group. Uh, many of the government agencies have been eviscerated in the past few years. And I would say that that's free will, and we're experiencing that ripple effect. But I mentioned free will in the context of the theodicy problem, because if God were to take away our free will and make our lives pain-free, that would kind of eviscerate the, the essence, really, of who we are as human beings. It would make God a puppet master. There is a lot more to say about the theodicy problem. I have really thick books about it, but I'll leave you with that for now. If you have more questions, put some stuff online, and we'll get back to you. Because as usual in today's Bible passage, Jesus is ahead of us on this question. Immediately after he says that there is no one to blame for this man's blindness, he adds that the man was born blind so that God's work, works might be revealed in him. And what Jesus means is that God is going to use this seemingly random meeting that Jesus has with this man to do something good. And God is regularly in the business of bringing good things from the bad things in life. Jesus knows um, that he is going to be healing this man. He knows that everyone will see this as a miracle and it will help identify who Jesus is as the Son of God and why he has come to us. So, the blindness is not this man's fault, nor is it God's will. Yet God can bring good from this senseless tragedy. God can work amidst the blindness. And I think that's why we should consider changing the saying, God doesn't send us more than we can handle to something else. And I would suggest we change it to this. With God's help, there is nothing we can't handle. Give me some 
love online and an amen if you get that, that with God's help, there is nothing we can't handle. Nothing we can't handle with God's help. Broken bones or broken lungs or broken spirits or broken hearts, car wrecks, addictions, suicides, cancer, wheelchairs, the list goes on. But with God's help, there is nothing we can't handle, including a worldwide pandemic. I ask our congregation to remember the story of Nick that I shared some weeks ago when I did my pastor's poker sermon. Remember, and I, everyone got five cards, and the message was about playing the hand that you're dealt. And we saw a film about Nick, and he was born with no arms and no legs. And the question was, did God punish Nick or his parents and cause him to be born with no arms and no legs? Did God cause that? And the answer is no. A drug called thalidomide caused that. A drug developed through our human free will that had disastrous consequences for Nick. But God promised not to abandon Nick in his pain and suffering. Instead, when Nick turned to Jesus and the mud of faith, he experienced the healing power of faith in Christ Jesus. And his faith did not heal his body, but it healed his heart. And Nick has now gone on to positively influence the lives of millions of people around the globe because God works for good in all things, even in the most tragic of circumstances. And I don't have the congregation here to give me an amen to that, but can we do that online, that God works for good in all things? Because with God's help, there is nothing we can't handle and nothing that we can't bear, but we're likely going to need God's help to do it. Now, there is a Presbyterian minister, Reverend Doug, who wrote a book called the, Sto the Stones Will Cry Out. And I recommend that book to you if you're home reading and you have some extra time. The Stones Will Cry Out. And he pondered in his book how human beings deal with tragedy, like being born without arms and legs. And Reverend Doug suggests that the best question amidst tragedy is not whose fault is it or why did God do this to me, the best question is who? Who will I be now? How shall I love and do justice amidst this tragedy? And that is the question facing Americans today, faced with this deadly pandemic. How shall I love and do justice amidst this tragedy? Not why did this happen or whose fault is it, but who shall we be now individually as a church and as a people? Who shall we be now? Shall we hang on and trust in the midst of hardship? How do we confront these issues as people of faith? I think those are better questions than why me or whose fault is it? And I don't mean to diminish the suffering that some of you have shared with me that, that you are experiencing. I'm just challenging you to look at this in a new way because that's what our faith tradition is all about, is looking at some of these things in a new way. And the question is, who shall we be now? So as I mentioned, I encourage you to read the rest of this story in your Bibles this afternoon because I invite you to ponder this question as you're reading. John, the gospel writer John, uses light as a metaphor for faith in this story. You see, the blind man sees again and there's an understanding of who Jesus truly is. But the point in that is that we too 
can be kind of spiritually blind. It wasn't just about healing the blind man and giving him sight. It was um, revealing the spiritual blindness of the people. And we too can be blind. So Christ still comes to us, not just then but now, in order to heal our spiritual blindness. And when we know Christ, believing, believing is seeing. And like Paul on the road to Damascus, we see the light. To be cured of blindness, spiritual blindness, is to be empowered to see the light. There's more to say about that because that's an archetype really for us Christians is seeing the light. To see the light is to bolt from darkness and to be bathed in the light of Christ. As the old hymn puts it, we're going to do a newer version today, but the hymn says, I was once lost and now I'm found, was blind and now I see you know, amazing grace indeed. But I'm here today to share with you that Christ is still at it. Even as we adjust to doing things in a new way, Jesus Christ is still at it in our lives, curing our blindness, shining his light on all of us here in the sanctuary and virtually, transforming us for lives of new vision and bold faithfulness. Everything around us has changed this past week. Can I get an amen to that? Can you all let me know online that your lives drastically changed this last week? Everything around us has changed this past week. We see the world differently now. But I think what used to be fuzzy is now being made clear. God's intentions for us and for the world are coming into ever clearer focus. It is as if God gave us, you know, new glasses, new spectacles to see the world through spiritual lenses, to see what happens when we don't treat each other and our world with the deepest love and dignity. And we Christians are people who learn to see the world as God sees it, full of the possibilities of grace. There's an undeniable connection in this story between being cured of blindness and seeing the light. And that light image is so helpful. I was thinking today as I was traveling in how many gray days we've had. And we finally had sunshine today. And that's another amen. Can we get an amen to that, that we had sunshine today? We could drive in. You know, I think of people who've really been suffering right now as all these things have been changing because of the pandemic. And they're suffering from something called SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. And the name is SAD. And it is SAD. It's a painfully accurate acronym. It means to be deprived. It means that when one is deprived of sunshine, deprived of light, the person can become depressed and sad and without life. So we're reminded today in our scriptures, and I think importantly outside this sanctuary in the world, we're reminded that light is good, that light helps us live faithfully and happily. And it's little wonder then that light is such a metaphor in the Bible. It's in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, another reading for today. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. So I'm going to read that again to see if you catch the point I'm going for here. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. It means that not only is Christ's light shining upon you, but you have in some divine and miraculous way you have become the light. 
And you may or may not understand that, but send us some hearts and hit your buttons for that one because you have become the light in this world. I can't talk to you all gathered here right now because you're scattered everywhere, but you have become the light. Christ has removed the scales from our eyes and filled us with, with light, and we are literally children of the light. So Christ's light not not only shines upon us, but shines through us. And I hope that makes sense. The Quakers used to talk about the divine light, the spark of light. But if the light is shining through us, from within us, we cannot cast shadows upon others. And that's something as we move forward in responding to this pandemic that will be so important. Because our Christian faith at its best isn't about casting aspersions. It is about casting light into the world. Jesus wasn't interested in casting blame or pointing fingers or naming a country or a people where a virus was first discovered. Instead, Jesus was shining light into a future that could be different, which is why today's story helps us understand that the key spiritual question facing us in this pandemic is not why us, The key spiritual question facing us in this pandemic is, who will we be now? I know I've said that before, but I hope you get it today. Who will we be now? Individually, each of you watching this worship service, as a church, as we retrofit and figure out how to meet the needs of the homeless and marginally housed in a changing environment, who will we be now as a country in terms of providing for the least of these, all the people who are falling through the social safety nets as they lose their jobs and they don't have health insurance and they can't pay their rent, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that today, this afternoon, as you read this passage again, I think when you put on those spiritual spectacles, you will begin to see how you might shine light into the darkness of this pandemic. Because with our spiritual spectacles on, we can literally stand as a beacon of hope in a world that is currently prone to discouragement. And we can shine a light of hope in our city to the least, the last, and the lost. Each of you can make a difference. Each of you online, each of our musicians, each person who's here today, our staff, you can make a difference, each of you. Will you let me know online right now if you will join us in committing to make a difference? Because we need your light now more than ever. And it's so hard for me to preach in this space because I'm so used to the energy and the light of the congregation. So it's hard for me to tell how emphatic or not to be when I'm preaching to a camera, which is not what I'm used to. But I'm going to figure it out because we need your light now more than ever. That is our spiritual purpose. It is our new vision here at St. John's as we face this terrible pandemic together in faith, hope, and love. Thanks be to God. Amen.